welcome to Headed Someplace, a show where strong, inspiring, enduring women share their stories with us. I'm Kara, and this is our last episode of season three of the podcast. Today, my guest is Cece Jones Davis. I've said a couple times on this podcast that a guest has come highly recommended, but I will say Cece is the most highly recommended guest I've had on the show. Several of you recommended that we sit down and chat, and we finally did. Cece is a social advocate, a singer, a speaker, and she has a lot of hats that she wears and a big old roster of ways her leadership has impacted our world, but we'll get into that a little bit later. She is gracious and humble and at the same time speaks with passion and authority. I love her voice. Oh, and she helps me make a really big announcement at the end of the show, so make sure you stick around for that. Okay, Cece, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in life. Sure. Um, Well, I identify as a person that has one voice and three expressions. So I'm um, a singer and I do I've done a lot of worship leading in the past. So a singer, a speaker, and um, a social advocate. So it really just kind of depends on the situation um, that I'm in and, you know, what's kind of required of me in a moment um, as to what expression you might you might get. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how I identify. I am a mama of two. Um, I have a a wonderful husband, and I'm from Southern Virginia. And so I migrated to Oklahoma City about three and a half years ago. And um, since then, in terms of what I do, in Oklahoma, I've been doing a lot of social advocacy work uh, around criminal justice reform, the death penalty, racial conciliation. Mm. And so I, most of my time uh, and energy is spent kind of in conversations with people mm-hmm. uh, about about important issues that, that are related usually to criminal justice reform or, or race. Yes. So I could go on and I could, I could probably tell you some more, but that's probably enough, I guess. Yeah, we'll... Uh... We'll get into a lot more, too. Um, And I always like to start out asking, what is a random fact about you that not a lot of people know? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, most people do not know how how much I would love to, like, live in Alaska, like, on the land and, like, you know, hunting and fishing for survival. My favorite show is Alaska, The Last Year. Yes. And I mean, I can watch that back to back. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's so fascinating to me how how amazing people are and how smart people are and, you know, how innovative people are in order to, like, survive. Yes. You know, you're spe- and, you're like speaking my husband's love language. He's like, let's go. <laughs> man, I, mean, I think it's fascinating how much yep. they know about nature, you know how much they know about animals, how much they respect those things. And so I think that's probably something people don't know about me. Like there's a wilderness woman inside me somewhere. Inside your your city suit girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Inside the suit, there's a wilderness woman <laughs> that wants to live in Alaska. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> that's great. I actually, I feel like super underqualified to talk to you today. <laughs> Because oh I'm gosh. like, I know it's silly, but I'm like, she has degrees from Howard and Yale. You've worked in politics, which just starts making my chest like kind of hurt because oh. I get so awkward. I'm like, can we just all be friends? Uh, no. <laughs> but I'm like so excited to talk to you and learn from you today because 
there have been three different people at three different times since I started this podcast. We're like, you have got to talk to Cece Jones Davis. One of those wow. is uh, Lauren Palmer, who she was on episode six. Mm-hmm. And she's like, if you don't have her on, you at least have to go grab coffee with her. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to grab coffee with her, we're going to do it for the whole world world to hear. <laughs> oh, listen, it's really an honor. Listen, I don't take opportunities like this when, um, you know, my neighbors reach out to me to have a conversation. I don't take opportunities like this lightly mm-hmm. at all. And so I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you would want to hear anything from me. It, it really is awesome. And I, I really, really appreciate it. And I love Lauren Palmer, by the way. Love her. She's amazing. Everybody's got to go listen to her story. Plus, following her on Instagram is just like dreamy. (laughs) I know. I know. Like the most creative, artistic, beautiful people ever. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I, there are so many places I want to go and I want you to kind of just steer the ship as much as you want to. Um, Start us off with what you're passionate about right now. Okay. Well, here's the thing, you know, when you're an intense person and I'm an intense person, like you're always passionate about like several things at a time. Right. Um, but for me, my passions right now are really, uh, geared criminal justice reform in Oklahoma because listen, person that comes from the East coast, other parts of the country, we have notions about the Midwest, right? We have these like dreamy ideals about like, prairie life right mm-hmm. because of kind of what we've seen on tv um like this a, a sense of wholesomeness and when i got here i totally saw some of that but i did not recognize that our state has some of the problems that we have like in terms of criminal justice reform we have we are number one oklahoma's number one in incarcerations in the mm-hmm. world particularly among women mm-hmm. um you know, we we have a lot of a lot to do around, you know, race, race talks mm. and those worlds intersect. You know, you can't really talk about criminal justice unless and, and not talk about race. Right. And so, you know, I'm really passionate about right now just kind of living in that world. I saw a docuseries last August about a young man here from Oklahoma City named Julius Jones. The docuseries was called The Last Defense. And uh, it was about a young man who is currently on death row here and has been on death row for the last 20 years. And it kind of um, just kind of poked holes in in the case Mm -hmm. and was very troubling to me. Um, It made me feel like maybe there's somebody here in Oklahoma who who could be wrongfully convicted and on death row right now. And so since then, I've been doing advocacy work to try to get him a retrial. uh, And that's going to stem into now, you know, talking to the governor and all that kind of stuff. But um, his story has really, really kind of changed me in some ways. And um, I've just kind of laid down my life for a while to to pick up his and um, to Mm -hmm. see to see what might be possible. So that's specifically right now yes. um, what I'm working on, what I'm really, really passionate about. I actually, I don't have a whole lot of time to talk today just because I've got to go to the Capitol to talk sure. to some of our congressional leaders about Julius Jones. So, Well, and one of the women who recommended you too was saying that Oklahoma also has a really high percentage of people that were wrongly wrongly convicted that they don't find out until after they've been executed. Yeah, um, that's that's true. Uh, but, you know, that's that's historically true for 
the death penalty, not just in Oklahoma, but across the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, there are Mm -hmm. cases where, you know, people are exonerated, but they've already, but they've died. (laughs) You know, they've already executed. Statistically, we think that maybe 4% of the people on death row right now are innocent. Um, There's a really good story about a a man named Anthony Ray Hinton, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book called The Sun Does Shine. Uh, He was on Oprah's book club. He was on Super Soul Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, He got out of prison in the last, I want to say, three or four years, something like that, after being on death row for close to 40 years, I think, for a crime that he did not commit. Mm. Um, He was exonerated for. Here in Oklahoma, um, two of my good friends are exonerees. Perry Lott spent 31 years in an Ada prison. Uh, for something that he did not do. And he was exonerated just this last July. So he went in as a 24-year-old man and came out as a 55-year-old who did not know how to work a cell phone. Wow. There is a man named DeMarco Carpenter who was pro- who was um, convicted in, uh, in Tulsa for a murder. He spent 22 years in prison here in Oklahoma. Um, the Innocence Project helped with his case and got him released, helped get to get him released. And something that helped him was that uh, another inmate eventually confessed to that murder. Okay. And so uh, he was exonerated, but that's 22 years that's been stolen from that man's life. It can't be given back. Yeah, can't get it back. And, right. so, and so people think that the, that when we talk about wrongful convictions, that, you know, this is like some, some fiction uh, thing somewhere. And like, it's not like I, I, I look in the eyes of Perry Lott and DeMarco Carpenter and can tell you that people are wrongfully convicted more than any of us would like to believe. Mm, And now it really is about how do we restore what has been broken? Mm, You know, how do we pour back into people what has been drained out of them, even though there's nothing I can do to give somebody 31 years of their life back? Right. There's nothing I can do to give somebody 22 years, but what I can do is to come alongside them as I believe Christ would and and promote their healing. That's mm. that's what I and and you know, and so that's what I'm committed to doing. Mm. Yes. And I I talked um a little bit about this with, with Lauren on our episode and then also one with a gal named Monique Dunsey who is on episode twelve, how I um grew up in a predominantly white community and didn't see a lot of racial injustice. And it took until a few years ago for somebody at our church. Um, and I talked about this in, with Monique O'Dunsey and her, how her husband shed light to me on like, just because you haven't experienced something does not mean it does not exist. And even even talking about women um, issues, I grew up really cons- in a conservative denomination where Mm-hmm. where I'm actually kind of even today more comfortable with like I'm I'm or not more more comfortable but I'm comfortable with like men in leadership but I realize like just because you haven't experienced what you feel like is like discrimination as a woman or or you haven't seen with your own eyes think doesn't mean it doesn't exist and doesn't mean there's not an issue it doesn't mean That's- we don't need to talk about this and and fight for like truth and That's right. So anyway, this is Part of also why I want to talk to you is like, I'm, I don't consider myself like really an activist type. Sure. And even like I've struggled through even in counseling, like when there's so much tension on Facebook and stuff, and I'm like, 
you know, and people say, if you're silent, then you're part of the problem, but I don't know what to say. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so, um, so which part of that is like, what I know I can do is like have these conversations and be like, what yeah. do we do? How can I help? Like as a, as a white woman, what can I do, you know, to help with racial reconciliation and help fight yeah. for, for that? Yeah. You know what? I think that um, you use the platforms that come naturally to you Hmm. and you're doing that right now. This platform comes naturally to you. This is what you enjoy. This is what you're inspired by. This is what you can offer. And so you use this as a tool to do some of that. Hmm. Um, And just having the conversation they have to be had. So what an amazing thing for you to use your platform to do that. You know, in all of my passion, I try to kind of back up and encourage people that none of us have the the answer to all of this. Right. God does. Jesus does. I believe that the love of God is the answer to everything that hurts us, mm. right? As individuals and as collectives. But in terms of how to walk that out, you know, that's very, very complicated in a fallen world. And, you know, we're not called to have the answer, but we are called to be sought in light, which in my mind translates as having a response. I'm not responsible to fix everything that's broken, but I am responsible, I believe, to make a contribution in the right direction. Right. Yes. Making a right making a contribution that will push our ball forward. And what is our ball? Our ball is is the love of God and not just the, the love of God, you know, in some like abstract sense, but the love of God spread abroad in our hearts in a kinetic and active way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that I would put my life on hold for the sake of another man's life. So that you would put your life on hold to have a conversation with me to further spread a message is that that kinetic love that that we can offer, you know, as responses to the the bruises and the troubles of our world. You know, if we get mm, all of this is too daunting. It really is. It's really overwhelming and it's really all complex. And we have to be ourselves. As we are growing and becoming better, we have to be remain ourselves. So for you to do what I do wouldn't be natural to you. Right. For me to do what you do wouldn't be natural to you. Right. But your voice and my voice are significant enough. We're made in the image of God in such creative ways that each of us has incredible impact mm-hmm. or the potential to have extraordinary impact. And so we can relax in that. We can lean back mm-hmm. in that. As we are learning more, because when we when we Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou said, when we when we know better, we do better as we know better, we will do better. Yeah, we will do better. And so uh, I know it's stressful and I know we just kind of want to wave a wand and have all this done. Yes. Um, But it is our contribution to to human history. And we have to be we have to lean into the pain of that. Like. It, it is it it has to occur. Yep, yep, you're right. And and actually one of the questions I even has like how do you see all this 
brokenness and and so like right in your face in what you do and in our world and the political system and still have hope but I feel like you just answered that and like yeah it is too much for any one of us but each one of us has been given a unique design and a unique voice and uh, ears to listen and just take I I love you saying like make a contribution in the right direction and that's it and it, it is it does it does pull the weight off my shoulders a bit I feel like to hear you yeah. say that yeah that's 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 it and I mean in terms of hope you know I'm gonna tell you some days some days are hard some days um hope feels a little bit further away hmm. and so when I don't have hope I have conviction and that is something I want to talk more and more about because I feel like something that that we are lacking right now is a sense of moral conviction that even on days where, you know, I don't feel like the sun is shining real bright or the birds are chirping and things. I didn't get the phone call that I was hoping to get. I have a conviction down on the inside of me that drives me. And that conviction tells me you stand on right no matter what the cost is. Mm -hmm. You stand on right, even if you don't get the phone call you want. You stand on right, even if another um, African-American boy is shot on a sidewalk. You stand on right. Mm -hmm. So conviction sometimes has to drive me. Stubbornness, holy stubbornness has to drive me sometimes Mm -hmm. when, when I'm grasping for hope. Yes. And and then I'll borrow somebody's hope. You know, I'll listen to some music. I'll read. I'll read somebody's book. I'll read somebody's blog. I'll have a conversation with a friend, and I'll borrow somebody's hope. Love it. And it'll help me get to wherever the next step is. Yes. One of the women, also another business owner in Oklahoma City. She. I was like, what do I need to make sure and ask Cece? And she said, ask her to talk about how. Um, she experiences joy as being a way of fighting evil. Yes. So, you know, Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation, mm-hmm. but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. Doing community, community advocacy or activism, however, you know, you think about those kinds of things. Um, like I said earlier, they're daunting, they're complicated, they are, they're hard. Mm-hmm. And they show you up close and personal, like the harsh, the harshness of our environment. But joy, joy is something that if we allow it to be stolen from us, you know, we will just kind of be vessels walking around, but we won't be alive. Mm-hmm. And I have children that I want to live for. And I don't want to just be a zombie walking around. I want to be someone they see life in. That's right. Someone they can. Um, glean hope from someone they can get insight from. And so I have to take up joy as an act of resistance against the evil of this world, because otherwise I would shrivel up and become nothing. Joy is a weapon. And even in the face of famine, war, poverty, injustices of every kind, if we cannot sing, if we cannot dance, if we cannot play, if we cannot listen to music, if we cannot go to a comedy show, if we can't go on picnics with our family, if we can't watch our children swing in swing sets, then then the evil of this world has won. Mm. 
because I don't believe that the world is just evil. And so my joy is a pushback to that notion. That's so good. That my joy is a pushback to the idea that this world is only dark. No, no, no. It's not only dark because love exists. So if love exists in this world, and it does, then it can't be just evil. You know, the whole this whole idea is about the kingdom of God, heaven on earth, right? Yep. This whole idea is about us believing in the not yet seen. Mm -hmm. And but we have those opportunities. Joy allows us those opportunities to to reflect a place where there is no more sorrow. And and it's really, really important to have joy in your life. It's extremely important. Yes. And, you know, I looked on your your website before and you're said you're passionate about seeing God's kingdom come in these areas of racial healing, women and girls issues criminal justice reform. And that's one way. I mean, one way is what you're doing with like advocating for these things and, and being involved in the, in the lawmaking and all this kind of stuff. But then another way is with like living with joy, because that's mm-hmm. also part of God's kingdom. So I love that. Cause that's something that's, that's like a simple takeaway from everybody here, <laughs> you know? Um, I love that. I, so I'm totally jumping back, but I was thinking about, um, before like just preparing for this conversation with you and and the like the self-consciousness that comes up when I'm like oh she knows so much about these things and I know so very little but what I remembered is like God being like yeah but you're my you're my daughter like you can go Mm -hmm. in confidence because you're my daughter and she's my daughter like you guys are your your sisters and so I think part of like even coming to discuss things like racial reconciliation where I feel so like I don't know what to do like I you know um or talking through politics which feels very daunting to me because I'm like everyone gets mad all the time (laughs) but it's like you can come from a place of like you're a daughter and that person was also created by me and my image and then you can approach people and conversations with such a different like level of grace and confidence like holding those two things which is which is sweet because it's like I don't have to know it all because I know who I am and whose I am. Yeah. I'm like just stepping in to learn. That's right. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't I don't know how how can I ask you how old you are? Yes, I'm 31. Okay, so I've got a few years on you. So I, that means I just have a little bit more life experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, the bottom line is that you and me and everybody else are like completely complete and utter equals. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's what's wrong with the world. The wrong, the world has said that because some people, because people don't look the same, because people aren't from the same regions, because people don't have the same educational background, because people don't, don't speak the same language, because people don't have the same culture or religion, then they are, they are not they are not as good as they are less valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is the crux of every problem we've got around the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether that's issues with women and girls. You know, there's so many women and girls today around the world who still can't go, you know, get an education because girls aren't considered worthy of, mm-hmm. of an education, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we talk about race, the same principle applies. And so, you know, it's my message and it's our message. It's your message. It's, it's got to be all of our message that whoever we're at the table with, we are complete and utter 
equals. Yep. And nothing, there are no factors that make anybody better than anybody else. They, they just don't exist. We just simply are all humans made in the image of God. Mm. And that is it. And that is enough. Yep. And when we come to tables, we come to share and we come to to communicate and we come to sh- to, to offer the, the information that we think we have. Mm-hmm. And it all should be in an effort to like make us all better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so um, I think that's really funny <laughs> that, that you've had those thoughts, but like, that's totally the, pro- the, the crux of the problem that we have, mm-hmm. like just in humanity that people, different people think differently about, about value. Right. When we really are all the same. Right. I love how you have talked a lot about like singing as part of this hope that we have and this joy that we have to fight evil. Um, I also sing and lead worship and I'm in a band and I totally relate when I'm like borrowing somebody's hope through music yeah. or whatever. Um, can you talk a little bit about Sing for Change, the organization that you started? Yeah. So in 2007, I was in um, seminary and well, the end of seminary and um, at Yale, no big deal. (laughs) Right. Right. No big deal. Um, (laughs) I was I was at the end of seminary and that whole experience really just rocked me because um, that was the time in my life where I realized that my faith was not was was not meant to be like this selfish consumerism kind of kind of deal. But that like real authentic hope and faith in Jesus Christ was really to be lived outside of like turned outward and not inward all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I really be aware and how I really became passionate about social justice work. But Thing for Change uh, came about because at the time I was, there was terrible rates of HIV AIDS infection, just uh, obviously around the world. And that those rates were growing in communities in the United States. And um, I had started to volunteer at an AIDS hospice in New Haven, Connecticut, and really saw firsthand how people suffered and how people suffered not only in silence, but people suffered alone. Because when you are dealing with something so stigmatized, lots of people had family to abandon them and they literally died alone. Mm. You know, that was that really, really hurt me. And so uh, I was watching something one night about the AIDS crisis in sub-Saharan Africa. And, you know, it's just, again, one of those moments where everything seemed so daunting. And I was just like, Lord, you know, what can we what can we do? And I felt really felt like the Lord asked me a question. I felt like he asked me, you know, what do you do? Mm. And I said, uh, well, I'm a singer. And, and I, I do feel like the Lord said to me in that moment, well, sing for change. And so mm-hmm. I started Sing for Change as an initiative to um, to address the HIV AIDS crisis in communities throughout the United States from a faith based point of view. Mm-hmm. And Sing for Change kind of morphed over time to become an, a 501c3 nonprofit that focuses on um, compassionate social ministry to a variety of issues. Yep. So I'm really enthused by kind of mobilizing faith-motivated people in, in justice work, but justice work from a lens of compassion and mercy. Because as a Christian, I, I don't understand justice outside of mercy. Like mercy is interwoven into the idea of justice for me as a Christian. So so that's what we do. And so we work around women and girls issues, uh, reproductive health, 
what we call menstrual advocacy. Mm-hmm. We, like I said earlier, do a lot of work around uh, racial conciliation, mm-hmm. uh, and we do work around criminal justice reform, and and we'll do other things in the future. Uh, and I and I tell people all the time, my motivation is is not really just topics. My motivation is people. Uh And so everything that I have ever kind of put my hand to is because there has been a person who I have been able to connect with, look in the eye, and then I I wasn't able to let them go. Hmm. And, And they drew me into the overall systemic problem. Yeah. Um, so Julius Jones, for example, was that person for me that drew me into um, the conversation of criminal justice reform. Right. So that's a little bit about change. You can go to my website, ccjonesdavis.com to find out more about about that. Hey, quick break to let you know, you guys, I will have links to her website and to her organization all on the episode show notes at headedsomeplace.com. If you want to go to the quick link, you can do headedsomeplace.com slash podcast slash 24 for episode 24. And I will also have all the folks she mentioned earlier in the show, the different cases she's helped with or mentioned. Those are all listed on the episode show notes so that you can go look into more of those stories as well if you're interested. Okay, you guys, like I mentioned, this is the last episode of this season. I typically release eight episodes at a time and then take a break. So I want to say a big thank you to those of you supporting this podcast on Patreon. You guys are a big help and encouragement to me. And not to mention, you've helped me see that sharing these stories is a worthwhile effort. I really do hope and plan to bring you more episodes in the future so that more people can be encouraged and empowered by these women's stories. If you are interested in helping this podcast to keep going, you can also go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com patreon.com slash headed someplace and don't forget to stick around until the end because cc helps me make a big announcement so let's get back to the real reason we're all here cc and her story i asked her to tell us a little bit about some of the harder seasons of life so far for her well in 2007 my dad had um it seems like he had a heart attack behind the wheel of a car and um, and wrecked his car and subsequently passed away. That, I was 27 at the time, and that's not 17 or seven, but it's still young. And it's hard to lose a parent when you're still so young. And, you know, that was, that was a time in my life before, you know, I had my own family. And so kind of having to deal with the fact that, you know, my dad wouldn't walk me down the aisle or wouldn't, you know, meet my, my children or things like that. You know, that was, that was, you know, one of the roughest, one of the rougher things in my life to, to kind of grapple with. And the loss of a parent I, I found was, it's just a very unique experience. You know, it's like, it's like losing a limb, you know, it's like losing an arm or a leg and and you know, it just doesn't come back. You know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, that was probably one of the the tougher things I've experienced in my life. In 2009, 
Yeah, 2009, I was diagnosed with a skin disorder called vitiligo, which um, it's, it's thought to have like a be an autoimmune situation where your body kind of attacks its own um, pigment cells, and so uh, it causes white white spots on your body. So the last 10 years, and uh, you, there's no known cure for it, anything like that. But the last 10 years has been really, really difficult mm-hmm. in trying to figure out how to cope as a person that has a public voice mm-hmm. to be just really honest with you. Yeah. And so, um, I have, you know, I have definitely gone through some very low lows. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I feel like God is, uh, definitely helping me come to the other side of that and kind of, I feel like he's kind of picked me up and dusted me off in some ways and said to me, you've got, you don't have another day to wallow. You don't mm-hmm. have another day to waste. You don't have another day to be upset about this. You don't have another day. And I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't, I don't know if another spot will pop up. I don't know what's going to happen, but you're going to live. Mm-hmm. You're not going to die and you're going to proclaim the, the salvation of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so it's a hard thing, you know, when you have something that shows up on the outside of, to be sick on inside is some, it's one thing to be mm-hmm. sick on the outside. feels like another thing to me. Yeah. Um, but I am grateful for just God's grace. Cause I truly know that's like what, what has kept me together. Yep. And so, you know, at this point today, Kara, it's all good. Like I'm not, mm. not tripping today. No, you might, you might catch next week and I might be tripping a little bit, but I'm not tripping today. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So can you talk to about, talk to the women listening who are also working mamas or, or moms that are at home that are, they feel like they're consumed with their kids and they're having a hard time pursuing what they're passionate about. And maybe they feel um, guilty for going outside and working. Can you talk, can you speak into that a little bit and what your experience has been? For sure. I mean, listen, mom guilt is a really, it's a real thing, you know, and I have two kids and they're little, but I'm also a person who had a calling um, before I was called to be a mother. And I'm not going to pretend like, like uh, that balance is easy or that there's balance every day, all day long. Like, no. Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but what I can say is that for for me, it's been it's been really important because I said yes to God in terms of the, of the calling on my life well before I had children. Mm-hmm. And that yes to God still remains in my in my soul. So even when I had children, did things change? Absolutely. You know, do I have to is there a give and take? Absolutely. Is there a new way that I have to think about time management? Absolutely. Is there a new way I needed? I have to think about priority. Absolutely. My children are always first, but my children are often with me in board meetings. My children are often with me at coalition meetings. My children, I drag my children to church Mm -hmm. when I'm having to speak. And, um, you know, God has given me the grace to have people around me, a community around me that, you know, will bounce my baby on their knee while I'm talking, mm. you know, things like that. And so I guess what I, what I would say about that is it's not easy, mm-hmm. but it's worth it because I believe that with your kids, like my little boy was, I, re- I think he was like three, he was three months old uh, when I got an invitation to go speak to a class about some women and girls issues here in Oklahoma City. And, you know, I strapped him on the front of me and talked to the class. You know, he was at that time. 
to do that. And, you know, I, I just want to say to women that we don't have to choose mm. between our children and our God purpose and calling, even though now for some people, you know, um, being being a full time mom is what God has called them to do. And there's like no shade on that in any way, shape or form. I, that is not my case, um, because I know if I was at home with my kids 24 hours a day until they were like 18 years old, like somebody would not live. Somebody yeah. <laughs> would not survive. Right. And I'm the classic. I'll be the classic picture person, perfect person for like the news, like the newspaper in a really, really bad way. (laughs) And so I know that about myself. I accept that about myself. And, and I, and I just decide to do motherhood in an alternative kind of way. But, you know, I just, I would just say for women who might struggle with that, I would just say that we're more than mothers. We're more than wives. Um, that that God has called us, many of us, to to different things, and that those things are matter. Those things are important, and so you know, figure it out. But but come on out here and live, yeah, and you know, do whatever God's called you to do. Well, hold on, I'm caught up on your come on out here and live. I'm like, yes, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I could just, I feel like I could interview you every single up. Like you need your own podcast. <laughs> Um, Okay, so with our last four minutes, I'm going to ask you one more question. And I ask this question to every guest. So last question, if you could go back five or 10 years in time and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? I would tell myself to calm down. I would tell myself to have joy. I would tell myself to let go of the notion that you have control because you don't. I would tell myself to laugh, to resist with joy, and to not live, not live with such fear. It's hard to do. It's real hard. To, it, it is. It really is. But I think when you walk through some hard things, there's, there's a, there's a, I'm getting real churchy now. Like there's a purging process. Like there's a burning away of for lack of a better term in the moment, like foolishness, hmm. you know, if I had not had the experiences, the hard experiences that I've had personally in the last 10 years, there's no way in the world I could stand up to giants when we're talking about criminal justice reform or race or anything else. But that those, those hard things have been used to burn something off of me in terms of the fear of man. Hmm. Those hard things have required of me to have a level of courage that I would not have unless the hard thing had come. Mm. Yeah. And so um, all things, all things are working for my good. All things are working for my good. That's right. Thank you so much, Cece. I am so appreciative. I know you are just so busy and we and I canceled on us, uh, which by the way, I might as well announce since this is our last podcast episode, um, you can help me make the announcement that I am pregnant with my third what? child. Hey, a baby! Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We are so excited. Um, we are right. so, so, so excited. And I do just want to say to all my sisters out there who are struggling with infertility or who have lost a child through miscarriage or... Yeah. 
um, lost children period. And I want to say to you listening that you have permission to feel however it makes you feel that I'm pregnant. And I know that, that you can celebrate with me and also mourn at the same time. I know it's hard to hear. So, um, so I just want to acknowledge that I never know exactly what to say, but I want to acknowledge that something that can be joyful for someone can also be hard. Like you talked about <laughs> losing your dad and I lost my mom when I was 24 and for mm-hmm. a long time, like seeing pe- people post pictures with their mom shopping or something kind of made me like, you yeah. know, it's hard, but, yeah, it is. but at the same time, at the same time, I'm like, but I want to celebrate that you have your mom here <laughs> to just get to go shopping with or whatever. Um, so anyway, I just want to acknowledge that, but we are super excited and grateful. So we will cover, I'm only 12 weeks, so we'll cover your, everybody's prayers for a, for a healthy babe. Congratulations. That is so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. you. And I'm sure, I'm sure everybody that's, that's listening to us, we are, we are really thrilled for you and your family. Thank you, Cece. Man, what a cool woman. And actually, when we recorded this show, I was 12 weeks pregnant, but now I'm 14 weeks pregnant. So there's that. For notes from today's show, there are a lot of resources for you up on headedsomeplace.com slash podcast slash 2424 for episode 24. That is headedsomeplace.com slash podcast slash 24. Special thanks today for music from thelightparademusic.com and Frontline Music produced by Dustin Ragland and episode show notes written by Mariah Ross. Thank you, my Patreon supporters. Thank all of you for listening. And I hope today you really do feel a little less alone and a little more encouraged.